In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash radio to learn more. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add Smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. When Lizzie Schofield entered the Gardens of the Year competition back in 2020, she had no expectations of even being considered for entry, let alone winning the competition. Hers was a tricky garden on a steep coastal plot right on the northeast coast of Scotland. Lizzie saw herself as more of an amateur gardener, and even her partner, Malcolm, told her it wasn't worth entering a gardening competition. But much to Lizzie's surprise, she was chosen, and of course won. Not only the main prize, but for the first time, the people's choice too. Since then, her gardening adventures have bloomed, along with her own confidence as a gardener. Hi, I'm Adam, and I caught up with Lizzie to find out what's changed for her since she first entered the competition three years ago. Since winning Gardener's World back in 2020, we have had some amazing opportunities with working with the Beechgrove team, um, which has been amazing. They've welcomed um, myself in and I've been able to do little bits of filming here, there and everywhere. And we've also been invited to be Scotland's Garden Schemes Ambassadors. So we open up our garden. We have done for the past two years now. And it's something that everybody gets involved with, all of our family and the whole community is really supportive when our garden opens um, every summer. So those are probably the two main things that have been really exciting that have happened since 2020. So some people will have spotted your garden on Beechgrove. Some people might have seen it in the magazine from when you entered the competition. But I think at this point, it might be nice for people who aren't familiar with your garden 
to, if you could maybe describe it a little bit, tell them uh, what your garden's like. So we live in a little fisherman's cottage, which is gable end on to the sea. So we don't really have a back garden as such. The whole garden is at the front or at the side of our property. There's not very much flat space at the top around that actually surrounds our house. Most of our garden is the very, very steep bank that leads down basically to the seafront, which is about 50 metres from the bottom of our garden. Um, There's a public pathway which is called Cuthbert's Bray. It's a steep set of steps which loads of walkers use and locals uh, use to get about. So they actually get the best view of the garden because we can't actually see any of the garden really from our house or any of the windows. So it's it's not until you venture down into the garden that you see how amazing it is. And I think some eagle-eyed or eagle-eared listeners may have seen you on Beach Grove because I know they've hosted a few episodes from your house. Is that right? And I know you've also been on the show. Well, after winning the competition, it gave me a little bit of a boost to think, oh, do you know, maybe other people might be quite interested in our garden as well. So I sent off a little video to the Beach Grove team showing them uh, what our garden was like. And they got back in contact with us and they came round and they shot for the whole day. It was a glorious summer's day and the garden was looking beautiful. And we had lots of fun um, with two guys that came round. And yeah, they did a mini little program about our garden that was featured in one of the episodes. And then from there last year, they asked me to come back and to do bits and pieces, film bits and pieces from my garden. And also I got the opportunity to host a show from the actual Beach Grove Garden out in Aberdeen. That's very exciting. It is. It's really exciting. And again, this year I've been asked back to uh, be part of the presenting team, which, yeah, is a huge honour. Brilliant. And tell us a bit more about the uh, Open Garden Scheme that you're involved in. We opened up our garden for the first time in 2021. So we got in contact with uh, the person who was in charge of all the gardens for Murray And uh, he came round and he looked at the garden and he was really interested and said, yeah, Scotland's Garden Scheme would love for you to open your garden for charity and represent us. So we did that in the first year and it was hugely successful. One of Liz Stewart, who is the main person in charge for Scotland's Garden Schemes. She actually visited on a separate occasion and it was really nice to chat to her and her husband about the garden. A little while after that, she asked us if we would be ambassadors for for the garden scheme. What has the reaction been like from people who've actually come and visited? You've had two years now of, of visitors coming, right? We have lots of locals um, coming in, which is great because they normally only see it from the pathway, uh, walking up the steep steps. So they all come to have a look at it from a different point of view, looking down the slope, which they really enjoy. And then there's lots of people coming from Aberdeen, which, to be fair, it's quite a long way. It's an hour and a half drive. And I'm always quite surprised when people say, oh, yeah, we've made the trip down here from from Aberdeen or the Black Isle. People come from, 
yeah, quite a long way just to visit the garden. It's lovely. And it's lovely to chat to all of these people and to speak about like the garden and all the different types of plants and to just give people some inspiration. They always say, oh, I never would have thought about doing that or that's a really great idea. And yeah, it's it's just lovely. Well, it's a lovely garden. I mean, I know it's worth the trip having <laughs> having visited uh, visited your garden myself. When you first moved to the house, I know that the the garden was in a slightly different state to what it is now. What was it like back then, and what's that journey been like since? Well, you couldn't really call it a garden. There was a piece of land at the top with a bit of grass on it, and it was owned by the council. There was enough room, really, to there was a washing line on it to hang out your washing. And the bank was absolutely smothered in brambles. You couldn't walk through them. The depth of them was something else. That It was probably about five foot depth's worth, um, just absolutely smothered. And the, it was just wasteland, really. There were bags all sorts of rubbish caught in the brambles that would just wave about like flags in the really windy sea. Yeah, it was it was a wasteland. Nobody wanted it. It was an eyesore, really. You drove past the bottom of our garden and looked up and it was it was horrible. We decided to buy the land when we started to have a family. We thought it would be quite nice for our first child, Freya, to have somewhere to play and you know just to experience the outdoors um everybody wants a garden for their their children so we started to make inquiries uh to the council about who owned the land and we by the time our second child came along we were quite serious in thinking about buying the small flat piece of land at the top uh by our house but when the council came out, they didn't want to sell us the flat piece of land. If we wanted the flat piece of land, we had to buy the eyesore that was the bank as well. Um, because in case anything that happened on the top part or I don't know if for legal reasons, they wanted us to take the bank as well. So we said yes. Looking back on it now, I don't know whether it was, I mean, it definitely was a good decision, but we were very unaware of all the hard work that was before us. And even so, it must have seemed very daunting. I mean, I know you wanted a garden for your two children to play in, but possibly not one with five foot of brambles to find their way through. So what did you do? Did you sort of ignore it for a little while or did you tackle it straight away? We ignored it for a little while because we thought, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to get rid of all these brambles? And we had, like, Malcolm had a few crazy ideas, you know, we why don't we just set fire to them all or so, like stupid things like that. But again, it just came back to, to hard work. We had to cut them back. There was no way of getting any sort of machinery onto the slope it was it was far too steep so one Easter holidays I think Malcolm's mum came across from Ireland she looked after the girls and Malcolm and I started to tackle and cut back all the brambles uh, before they started to reinvigorate and grow yet another layer <laughs> on top of them so that took a good I think two solid weeks of 
cutting back just brambles. I mean, that wasn't even getting the roots out. That was purely cutting them back. I don't think we could overemphasize how challenging your plot is, right? It's near vertical at points. It's really exposed, isn't it, to the salt air. You get the winds blowing in. Then you had all those brambles. It's a challenging plot, right? Definitely challenging. I mean, the steepness of it, as you were trying to cut the brambles, you were sliding back down the hill. If you put anything, tools or anything, down on the slope, they would roll down the slope to the bottom. You have to sort of scramble up it and sort of sit on your side if you wanted to actually do anything or make any headway without rolling, yeah, without rolling back down and looking like a complete idiot as neighbours watch you um, and passers-by, all the passers-by thought we were just nuts. They had seen this bank for years and had never really, I suppose, seen any potential in it. It gained a lot of interest and attention and I think people did start to walk past more just to see what we were up to. Possibly expecting a failure from from both of you as you tried to tackle it. But of course, as we know, that that didn't happen. Um, So once you cleared those brambles back enough, what was the next bit? Did you put in some paths? Did you make it a little bit more accessible before you started planting? At one side, at the steepest part of the garden where all the brambles were, we left that part for a good few years. We kept cutting back the brambles every year, trying to pull them out. The good thing, we have very sandy soil, so trying to dig them out so that they wouldn't take hold again. On the other part of um, the bank, it was just overgrown grass, so we started to slowly plant that up. I was very keen to get plants and colour and, you know, have it look like a garden, but... It did fail, I would say, as I'd never planted up a garden before. I didn't have any garden experience. The types of plants that I was using weren't that great for a slope. Plants started to slide down the bank because they didn't have anything to hold on to. Things didn't really thrive. So it was at that point Malcolm said, I'll dig you some terraces and put in some terraces so that hopefully things can grow and be a bit more successful. And it just sort of snowballed from there. We didn't really have a grand plan or anything at the very beginning. We were just thinking or speaking about what we would like and what we had hoped to achieve and then seeing whether we were actually able to do it. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. In this ad for the Mobile One brand, I have 30 seconds to remind you about your first time driving. Remember the feeling, the freedom, how the world felt bigger and smaller at the same time? Because you were in the driver's seat. The truth is driving never changed. You did. You got a job, a phone, and then a phone that was also a computer with emails that could find you anywhere. And then you were trapped. But here's the good news. It's never too late to break free. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us radio to learn more. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You've certainly come a long way. I noticed that you mentioned there that you didn't really have any experience when you set out. But did either of you sort of have any inclination towards gardening? Did you have any gardeners in your family growing up? Did you have any experience in the garden in Australia, where you're originally from? We had a lovely garden in Australia. And my dad uh, did do lots and lots of landscaping himself. We had a Morton Bay fig tree, which he has had huge massive roots it was it was very tropical and he planted that out with beautiful ferns and it was very pretty I was very lucky that I did have a beautiful landscape garden it's not a garden that I Oh, how do, how do I say this without well, totally affecting my dad? Um, as a child, I suppose I would have loved um, more colour and lots of flowers to pick. I can always be, remember being told, I think one of the most colourful things that we had in our garden was lantana, which is extremely poisonous. And I was always told, you're not allowed to pick that. You're not allowed to pick that. So I think that influenced me in when it was time to have my own garden, I wanted lots of beautiful, colourful plants that I could pick and that my my children could pick as well. Um, Malcolm's mum and dad are both quite practical people and they they did like gardening. I would say it was it was a hobby. They had a yeah, they had small gardens. How did you get started on the garden with not much gardening background, you know, did you call in help from friends and family? Did you read a lot of books, watch a lot of TV shows? All our knowledge basically came from the Gardener's World magazine and also watching Gardener's uh, World, the TV program. We poured through magazines, we became avid readers and it was just through doing those two things, the magazine and the TV program, that we started to pick up um, tips on what we should be doing. Or it was a good way of, yeah, getting that information that we just, the knowledge that we just didn't have. Yeah. And did you feel you gained a bit of confidence then? I mean, it just, it starts with one plant going in that survives and thrives and gives you that boost, right? And then you build from there. Oh, definitely. We also got help from our garden friend, neighbour, who actually has an amazing view of the garden from her house. She was very encouraging. She was always giving us little cuttings and bits of plants that grew really successful in her garden, which was just on the other side of the path. So we were very lucky in the fact that lots of people, I think, were, when they started to see progress, they were willing to help out with knowledge about 
what they had done and how they had been successful. People were really helpful in that respect. So that doubt that was coming from people as they walked by and saw you struggling on your slope turned into help and people probably cheering you on a bit, I guess. Yes, I think they could definitely see the progress that we had made and that it was had the potential to look really good. And so the remarks, instead of being, you know, what on earth are you doing? Or you'll you'll never be finished with a garden like that, became, oh, that's really beautiful. What have you got growing there? Oh, have you tried this? This grows really well in my garden. So yeah, there was definitely a a shift towards a more positive outlook, I would say. So the first I saw of your garden, the first we saw at the magazine was when you entered the Gardens of the Year competition uh, back in 2020. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit um, about that whole experience. Uh, what what was it like getting your garden ready to enter a competition? And, and why why did you even choose to do that in the first place? I was really proud of what we had both achieved. Lots of people, we'd got really nice feedback from obviously the community and I think it was it was in lockdown and I just thought I, I saw it being advertised and I thought, do you know what? Let's just give it a go. The worst that can happen is they're gonna say no and that will be the end of it. And they didn't. Um I can remember getting a phone call from you and just being absolutely delighted and thrilled that it had been chosen as part of the the final eight gardens. Then I would say the hard work started because we knew that a photographer was going to come. So we wanted to make the garden look as good as possible, the bit that we had started on anyway. Um, there was still lots to lots to tackle. But no, it was it was an exciting time and it provided lots of motivation and it did provide a little bit of a boost for us to think, wow, they must have seen something that they really that they really liked. Yeah, and of course it wasn't just us at the magazine as we were choosing the finalists. You then went on to win the top prize that year, the judges' choice. So our judging panel responded very well to the garden as well. How did that feel discovering that you'd that you'd won that year? It was totally surreal. I we couldn't believe it. We were in shock. Um I can remember one of the editors, you know, telling us some of the quotes that Alan had said and uh, Dermot had said, and we just stood there in total disbelief thinking, oh my goodness, this has actually happened. And for them to have looked at our challenging site and to say they have done an amazing job it was, there were no words, there were no words to describe it. Of course, because I mean, we're always so critical of our own gardens, aren't we? We, It's hard to see how good they probably are. I think a lot of people don't have that confidence in what they've done, because you often just see everything that needs to be done and every, every weed that's popped up and everything you've done wrong, all the mistakes, you know. So yeah, sometimes you just need someone else to look at your garden with fresh eyes and appreciate it. And then of course, the public voted and you were our first ever double winner of the Gardens of the Year winning the People's Choice as well. 
That must have been a bit surreal. That was very surreal. Again, we couldn't believe that people had voted for our garden because we had we hadn't seen any of the other finalists. And we can remember looking through the magazine going, oh my gosh, that's an amazing garden. Look at that. Oh, they're definitely going to win the people's choice. I mean, some of the gardens that were in the final were just absolutely stunning. So for people to have voted for us, um, yeah, it was incredible. You said you entered the competition and you didn't really know what would happen. You just thought, give it a go. Yeah. You know, Malcolm, Malcolm told me, no, Malcolm said, why are you doing that? And I was like, well, somebody has to enter. <laughs> I think that was my reply. And he just thought I was crazy. And so for those people with a Malcolm saying, no, don't, don't do it. Or who might um, feel that their garden isn't really worthy of, of entering a competition. What sort of advice would you have? I would say definitely just take a punt put in the photos like you say people see the amazing things that you have tried to do even though you don't appreciate them um, or you can't see what you've managed to accomplish so yeah I would definitely say just do it don't think about it just do it (laughs) so what is your garden looking like at the moment? What what would people see if they paid you a visit? At the moment, the red campion has started to come out and bloom. Their alliums are starting to, you know, starting to sprout and pop up. There's lots of green with the lime green of the fennel and the frothy fennel starting to appear. The poppies are starting to come out. It's all looking lovely green and fresh with like spots of colour with pinks and reds. The aquilegia is um, starting to come through as well. It's it's looking nice and spring-like. I would say that the garden looks best during more of the summer months. We've got agapanthus that starts to come up with echinacea and all our poppies and things like that and the roses start to bloom. So yeah, that's why we do choose to open up our garden in in the summer months. But it's still looking beautiful at the moment. Um, and you grow some veg there, is that right? Yes, we do. Uh, the vegetable beds are a recent addition. They happened actually last Easter um, time and they... Malcolm created them. He did an absolutely an amazing job on the very steepest part of the bank. So they are a, a series of terraced beds right from the very top part of uh, the bank to the bottom. And you can access them from tiny little pigeon type steps that lead up to them. And it's great. I've got lots of peas, beetroot, artichokes beans loads of different stuff it's it's great and last year we grew a whole heap of pumpkins which was yeah really satisfying to have at um halloween and the kids decorated them it was great do they get stuck into gardening are they following your footsteps the girls sometimes they really get stuck in um they're definitely fair weather gardeners uh they don't really like being out when it's cold but in in the summer months, they're out there helping me 
plant seeds, pot on things. And I think they really appreciate now having a nice garden to sit and relax in. And they they do really enjoy just sitting there and soaking it all up. Absolutely. I've noticed you're very active on social media. I think that sort of took off for you during lockdown, right? What does it uh, what's it mean to you connecting with other gardeners on on social media like that? I love it. It's just such a brilliant community. Everybody's really supportive. Everybody's got such a good sense of humor. And it it's really nice to actually see what other people are growing and how other people garden. You know, there was a time where the only time you could see people's gardens, because normally they're their back gardens would be like peering over or peeping through like the fences but now it's all over uh social media and it, it's it's great to see the creativity that people have and just get those ideas and see whether you can recreate them in your garden so how do you feel your knowledge as a gardener has has changed and developed over the years since you've been gardening your own tricky plot you know, you mentioned you're a Scotland's Gardens Scheme Ambassador and we're going to be seeing you more in Beechgrove. So do you feel your your confidence has, has really grown? I think it has definitely grown. We're not so much, in particular in relation to our own garden, we're not so much in a rush to get things planted. We have taken our time on other parts of the garden now and really thought about what we wanted getting in the hard landscaping before we do any planting. And yeah, things are starting to take shape, but it's having that confidence and also knowledge of knowing what to do first and the correct way of doing things so that you're going to actually achieve your desired outcome, I would say. My knowledge of plants has increased dramatically from that first experience of planting a hosta on my um, sunny side of the bank, which, you know, withered and died. And through reading, through watching more programs, through uh, social media, I do think I've gained a lot of knowledge. I don't think you realise how much knowledge you have until you speak to somebody who doesn't have any gardening knowledge at all. And you realise, oh, actually, I do know what I'm talking about because um, I was like you five, six years ago and yeah, through a bit of hard work. And I suppose it's not really hard work because it's one of those hobbies that I really enjoy. So I enjoy reading about different types of plants. I enjoy looking things up, looking at a plant and thinking, is that going to work? Looking at the RHS website and Gardener's World thinking, is that the right plant for here? Will it survive? Yeah, and some of it sticks, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you become the one giving the advice. Yeah, well, it's it's quite funny because the people I work with now they say, "Oh, the gardener, what what do you think about this, Lizzie? What do you think about that?" And I'm actually able to give them some advice, which is which is lovely. So, what are your uh, plans for the rest of this year and into the future? I know you'll be opening your garden again in July. And you've got more plans for the actual garden itself, is that right? That's right. On the steepest part of the bank, again, we are trying to plant it up. I'm desperate to get planting this year. We've done all the hard graft of the landscaping. We've put in another pergola with some rambling roses. And we've started 
to maybe create some willow hurdles that are sort of curved in shape to try and help plants not slip down the steepest part. And so I'm I'm really desperate uh, to get planting this year and make that a really beautiful space. In regards to other things, we're, we're going to open our garden again, like you said, in July, which is always a pleasure to see people coming in and enjoying our garden. And yeah, I'll be doing bits and pieces for with the Beech Grove team throughout the year, which is exciting too. If you can put your gardening hat back on and uh, dispense a bit of wisdom for people who might have a similar garden to yours, perhaps not the same because I know your garden is quite unique in how, just how steep it is and how exposed to the elements. But if anyone is is listening who might be struggling a little bit with a either a steep plot or a really you know exposed garden what's the the sort of the best things you've learned through the few years you've been gardening and what tips would you pass on i would definitely say on a steep slope try and add some terracing um terracing is going to be a really good place to start it means that you know the sandy soil and the plants that you plant aren't going to slip down it will make watering easier you can improve your soil with a bit of terracing and that's exactly what what we did on parts or on more difficult places where the slope is steeper and you just can't do any terracing I would definitely say the things that work best in my garden are plants like crocosmia is amazing at um, sticking to hillsides and not slipping anywhere. Um, other plants like ladies' mantle, different types of hardy geraniums are all amazing at at staying put on a steep slope, and they sort of just they flow down really well and and cover the soil and spread really well, which is what you want because you don't want to be weeding a really steep tricky section to get at in relation to like other coastal gardens i find lots of things like agapanthus works really well rosemary is is great in our coastal garden it grows really well and plants from new zealand like formiums do really well on our exposed most windy section of the garden they do really well i think it's also about having the right attitude and just giving it a go, right? I know that both you and Malcolm just got stuck in, learned as you went along and did so much of this all, all, you know, all by yourselves, right? Yeah, we did. And plants are really tolerant. I mean, they can be moved. If, if they look like they're not surviving, dig them up and move them or dig them up and put them in a pot and have another think. It's amazing what you can achieve when you put your mind to it. And if you really want to create something beautiful, you can, I would say, and definitely give it a go. Don't hold back and think, oh, but it it might not work out. It might work out and it might be better than you ever imagined, which is definitely how we see our garden. It's It's something that we never imagined that we could create. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app.